Hey folks, I'm Tom. KJ here. You've heard this before, but we're new and improved now, and so is the Dunlap Champions Club. It's back for another year. You know that. By now, if you have not been in there, I don't know what you've been doing, but we will remind you, this is always the best time to test drive. If you want to check it out, we have the spring game coming up April 18th, followed by a concert. Uh, good pricing to get in and see what you've been missing. A reserved chairback seat, access to indoor air-conditioned areas, always a good thing. All-inclusive food and soft drinks starting two hours before kickoff. Access, I love this part, to adult beverages and more. Funny that you would be the one to bring that up. Uh, the home schedule this year, obviously, when we get to the, the fall portion, uh, the, the meat of the actual football season, I guess I should say. Clemson and Florida are on the docket. Pitt coming to town for basically the first time since uh, since KJ played. Well, I guess shortly after you... Uh, should we say retired? Finished. I, I wish. Finished. That's good. Finished. Anyway, uh, as far as the spring game goes, again, 5 o'clock kick on April 18th. And if you're a, a booster member already, a, a ticket holder in the Dunlap Champions Club, it's just 60 bucks to get in for that. Uh, if not, $80. But either way, uh, particularly if you're general public and have not sampled the Dunlap Champions Club, Champions Club it's the best way to do it. You can schedule a private tour as well. So if you don't want to, if you want to buy after seeing, you can go in, take a good look, walk around, see what's going on. It's a big place, twenty thousand square feet of space. Uh, can handle up to five hundred folks. If you've got other plans for other types of events that you want to schedule, it's worth the visit. Six four four eighteen thirty is the number to call. Now, without further ado, Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you, although... In fairness, it's my favorite kind of show. I have the studio all to myself because Keith is on location. KJ, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, doing well, Tommy. Are you sitting in my chair or are you sitting in your chair? No, I'm in my chair, but I moved it over to the center of the uh, the table here in front of us, if you will. So, And I spread out. It's like I own the place. Don't tell Understood. Jeff. Understood. Keith is not in Parts Unknown. He is in uh, South Bend, which is just next to Parts Unknown, for tonight's basketball game between Florida State and Notre Dame. A rather big one. But first, I know you haven't left the hotel since you got there, so you've been outside from the team charter to the team bus, the team bus into the hotel, and then wherever you and Gene went to dinner, which might have been in the hotel. Is that correct? Uh, we actually ventured out for dinner, so we did uh, go a little, little far from the uh, front of the hotel to a, a small mini van bus type thing and to the ho- to the uh, to the to dinner to a restaurant but it was not a very far walk I can assure you and the temperature is I mean what are we dealing with in South uh, Bend in early March is, is plus or minus 30 degrees okay and it's overcast and uh, my my prognosticating phone says we might have a snow shower a little later but uh, we'll wait and see. All right, so obviously there's a big, big game tonight. Before we discuss that, and everybody has reflected back on the Clemson game, is there anything you would like to add in retrospect about the way that game played out, finished up, end result, anything in particular? I'm going to go with, uh, and and we talked about this a little bit off off the air, but I'm going to go with, you know, Florida State uh, sealed their double bye in the the, uh, ACC tournament early. So, so there's a new chapter in the book. Whoever wrote the book that says once you can, you're, you're you're in the tournament, and you've got a you know one or two or three regular season games yet to play, 
it may be good for you to lose one of those because that that leaves that taste of defeat and 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 losing and you know you 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 have a last taste of that and it reminds you that you don't want that anymore so i'm going to go with the fact that it was probably good for florida state to to lose that close one to clemson because they they have that taste in their mouth and they don't that you don't want to forget that as you go into the tournament and uh, that'll be a motivator as they go forward how about that well i'll buy it only because Florida State gets a mulligan here since Duke lost later that night and FSU still so they got the taste of defeat and yet they still control their own destiny and grand scheme of things Keith we all started this year and said let's just get this team in the tournament you know maybe they're an eight or nine seed given they lost six guys and we'll see if they're playing well maybe they get to the second weekend and of course we've We've shot that down, and now we're into, you know, let's get them all the way onto the one line, certainly a two line, and let's get them to Atlanta in the final four and all that. But I think the bigger point here is as it relates to the to the ACC season, Keith, it's there for the taking. In a league that has blue bloods, Carolina and Duke and Syracuse and Louisville and all and Virginia, the defending champs, all these programs that invest a lot more and ha- are a lot more tradition-rich in basketball, it's there for the taking if FSU can win tonight and Saturday. That's what's hanging in the balance right now. And I think that is just an un- unbelievable achievement, you know, starting first with Coach Hamilton and his staff and and then with the kids. And, you know, everybody, I hope, has come to appreciate Trent Forrest uh, and what he means to this program uh, and and – Vassell and MJ and, and the other kids that hopefully will have some more days ahead of them uh, after this season. Uh, but it's been a remarkable year, and, and they're poised they're poised to do something very, very special. So how do you feel about tonight? I, I like the chances. Uh, you know, Florida State's never won uh, at Notre Dame. Uh, it's a small sample size. They're 0-3. Uh, the victory uh, down in Tallahassee was close, went by one point. But I think this team recognizes the importance of this game and and the importance of, as you mentioned, the last two uh, as they control their destiny. And, and I like the chances. I like the chances. This team has always found a way to rise to the occasion, and I think tonight will be no different. Did Patrick Williams play the first time against Notre Dame? Even if he did, he was not the Patrick Williams we've seen the last few weeks. Not at all. Not at all. And I, and I think that that will be a very big part of uh, the difference. You know, the way he's been playing, the way Patrick has been playing the last, you know, half a dozen games, I think is uh, is remarkable. He's coming to his own, uh, and, and, and he is a difference maker. But you've got to remember that, you know, Wyatt Wilkes scored 19 points against Notre Dame last time. And this is a guy that averages three and a half points a ball game. So at any given moment, any one of these kids can rise to the occasion. And uh, it'll just be interesting to see who it might be tonight. Do you get the sense that it's a big deal to Notre Dame? Because I feel like it would have been a bigger deal had the Irish not lost on Saturday themselves. Well, I think that the, the the buzz I'm feeling is that they are disappointed that they lost previously, and that at least from a, a fan standpoint, uh, you know they're going to be out in full force. And I think I think it matters to them. Uh, remember that uh, you know uh, there was a, a controversy after our game in Tallahassee about you know hey we're in the league too we're in the league too. <laughs> 
Yeah. So uh, I, I think there's enough buzz about it that yeah, it'll be it'll be a big game for for, for Notre Dame and their fans. I should point out that Keith joins us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. KJ, I, I don't, I, I don't want to go back and, and rant about the refs, but I'm going to do so anyway. So let me just say a couple things. You brought up that Mike Bray was upset after Notre Dame's loss here, and he had a reason to be. There were some you know questionable non calls or whatever. There always are in games. I thought Leonard was really classy after the Clemson game because he wouldn't point to the refs. Uh, all he said is they're human; they make mistakes too. Reality is FSU lost that game because it missed free throws and it didn't make enough stops. That said, when it, the end result is an inadvertent whistle and it takes you eight minutes to get there, that's eight minutes of CYA looking at the tape to figure out what can you possibly rule other than just fessing up that it was an inadvertent whistle. I mean, is there any the other only, way to look at that? No, there's, the only thing you can be looking at is how much time to put on the clock. I mean, what else are you going to look at? Well, I feel like they spent eight minutes looking to see if there's anything else that's permissible to overturn by video re- review. And when they possibly. found nothing, they admitted it was an inadvertent whistle. Yeah, and possibly. I can't imagine, imagine the outrage if the possession arrow had not been with FSU at that point, because that's what it defaulted to. I mean, exactly. we just we, we just have to do better. And I don't know what the answer is. But that said, the more pressing thing to me in that game and this has developed not just in FSU games, but the sliding in late and getting rewarded by it being called a charge. Uh, there were three or four of those out of the five or six, six of them. but there were six three calls. But there were three or four that, in my mind, were questionable. Uh, and, Agreed, and, and and probably should have been called blocks, not charges. And to me, this is becoming the targeting of basketball. You know, targeting was intended in football to take away the egregious. You got a running start. You launched. You clearly led with your head trying to, you know, kill a guy. And instead, we're calling it every time your helmet grazes somebody else that it's targeting. And now we've got charging, which is designed to take away the bull in the china shop going through the lane. And yet we're rewarding defenders who are they're not in established good position. They're leaning in. They're sliding in. The offensive players already committed. This is the thing now that needs to get fixed in college basketball. I could not agree more. Well, make it happen. Could you make it happen? Well, when I'm king, I'll solve all the problems, right? It just, it, it once again, it's it's letter of the law versus intent of the law. And it's, and again, that's not why FSU lost, but it, it's just, you're, you're rewarding flops uh, and it's frustrating. It's, I actually well, like, I like, remember too, we had a, we had, there's also a rule that if you flop, that you can be, have a foul called against you. And MJ had a foul called against him when he launched the three ball got hit, and he fell down, and they called the foul on MJ for flopping. There's also that rule. Not not called very much, but, yeah, something needs to be done. I actually like the NCAA tournament because you get some different refs, and generally they let them play and let the players decide the games more. Uh, So I look forward to that. But I worry about the way the rest of the season will finish up. Uh, Hopefully it finishes up on a strong note. Not that it finishes tonight, but hopefully Florida State gets this one tonight. And uh, and comes back home for what would be a great. Uh, imagine the atmosphere; it's just BC. But if you got a chance to close out an ACC regular season championship, it'll be electric at the Tuck this weekend. Um, I would, I would, I would hope so, and certainly think so. Keith is in South Bend. Our Osceola insider will join us here in a couple moments. I do want to point out that if you don't have plans, uh, well, certainly your plan should include the Boston College basketball game on Saturday. But after that. 
Head down to uh, to Madison. The Tallahassee Wine Mixer takes place this weekend uh, from 5 to 9, unlimited wine sampling, red, white, sparkling. And, Keith, just for folks like you and me, they, they have draft wine available too, which is, is probably more – uh, you know, our domain. But anyway, tickets available, 40 bucks in advance, 45 at the door. Madison Social Townships and Trolley, they are right in the middle of it. Encourage you to go out there, have a good time this weekend. Keith, I'm going to uh, say goodbye for now, but don't worry, it's not forever. I'll talk to you in just a little bit later on in the show, okay? Sounds good, Tommy. Keith Jones in the comfort of his South Bend hotel room. Probably the Ritz. He's, uh, I don't know if he's overlooking Touchdown Jesus or where they set him up there at, uh, at Notre Dame, but he always asks for the fancy suite. It's in his rider, so that's where Keith is right now. Take a break. Come back with more on Front Row Knowles. Stay with us. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom Block uh, anchoring the uh, studio portion of the show. Keith Jones will join us uh, once again later on from South Bend. We'll also hear from the analyst that uh, is calling tonight's game, the TV analyst uh, commentator for tonight's uh, basketball broadcast. That'll be next segment. But right now, Bob Ferrante is here, our Osceola insider. I'll remind you that uh, you can learn more online at theosceola.com. Just uh, seventy four ninety five to subscribe annually to uh get a really good look behind the uh, behind the curtains of what's going on at Florida State, and, and maybe that's a starting point. But Jerry Kutz, uh, as I say hello, Bob, uh, did a really nice piece on on Matt Drill's uh, perspective based on talking to Mickey Andrews and Jim Gladden and guys that were here when Matt Drills became a thing of legend and lore around these parts. But uh, I don't want to give away everything, but Jerry always has a nice way to, to put things and, and puts good historical perspective on things you know i thought it was a good early morning workout when we got to see it as the media you know 6 a.m guys are running around and, and really giving everything they have very very early and they did resemble i think the old mat drills um i didn't cover those back in my day but guys like jerry wally burnham was there mickey andrews and everett brown have had a chance to watch and i, I think the big takeaway is what we saw early was guys were trying but needed help, needed some direction. Later on, as they got more used to the drills and what the coaches were demanding, the performances were better. So I think that's really a big takeaway is, is coaches like Mickey Andrews and Jim Gladden, they saw a difference from, say, prior weeks to last week when they were in attendance. So I think that's really good to hear is that they can see that progress. Spring practice starts this weekend. It's hard to believe there's a media... Uh, chance to meet with the coaches i guess and coach norvell on friday and then spring practice will kick off i haven't really sat down and written out the big storylines but i would suggest that uh, themes are going to be that we're going to see a really organized structured energetic well-run practice and everybody will will key in on how the coaches coach and that sort of thing the biggest question is going to be well which which you know what are they doing with james blackman how, how many reps is he getting compared to jordan travis and where does tate fit in uh, and then offensive line, I don't know how much you can really glean right now when you're going to have some some parts out. Uh, what else am I missing in terms of top storylines that are going to come out of spring football? Yeah, I think you hit on some of the big ones for us is definitely quarterbacks. How much can Tate Rodemaker show in such a short amount of time he's been on campus and has had a playbook? Realistically, 
yeah, I mean, he's going to try to he's going to try to fly when he's still walking. I mean, it's right. it's almost impossible. Um, offensive line, and I think frankly, defensive line. So many injuries there from off season surgeries. There's the potential that guys like Marvin Wilson, Corey Durden, Josh Kando, Janarius Robinson, they all have had some off season injuries that. So it's kind of a question mark how much we're going to see out of them. So those one-on-one offensive line, defensive line matchups might be more reserved for later in the spring or, or even until August. So we'll kind of see those those younger guys step up. That's the way spring always is, though, because it's spring is a time that you, if you need a tune-up, you go in and you get cleaned up, whatever the surgery is, and then you don't have all your freshmen here yet, Yet, but you've lost your senior class, so you're thinner, and it it is a time for young guys to to stand out a little bit. I mean, that that's ultimately what generally comes out of spring practice. I agree. I totally think spring practice is for those first, second, and third year guys, whether you've redshirted or not. For the veterans, not so much those seniors and those juniors who have played a ton. It's more critical this year because you have a new coaching staff and you're trying to impress that guy. You know, constantly when we've asked the assistant coaches, we've gotten a chance to meet them a lot through this offseason. It's been great interacting with them. But they're very cautious when you ask about a specific player. They say, well, let's, let's wait until I see them on the field before I can really tell you what they're doing. They'll say, oh, this guy's working hard in, in the tour of duty. This guy has arrived ready with that working mentality. But when you ask, how, how does he fit in on the field? What position might he do? How, do, how does he adapt to what you want? They want to actually see it on the field, too. Well, that's good. I remember when Mark Stoops came in when the defense was struggling, so I guess that was 2010, and he was asked about evaluations, and he basically said, I didn't watch any game tape from last year. I want to form my own opinions when they're out here in the spring. I don't, you know, whatever went wrong for whatever reason last year, I don't need to have that bias in my head. And I think if you're a player, especially a first, second, third year guy, uh, that's refreshing because if you haven't gotten the playing time you want and, and maybe you've, you know whatever tape you have is not great, it really does reset the counter right now. I think a clean slate is good for a yeah. lot of these guys. I mean, obviously it's very difficult. We've talked about the, the psyche of a player if you've been recruited by Jimbo, coached by Willie, and now it's another new staff. And heck, even a guy like James Blackman, how many play callers has that guy gone through right. in now four years? So it's they're constantly adapting to new personalities, new schemes, new relationships so it's part of that spring is just building those relationships spring game of course comes up i think it's april 19th if that's a saturday five o'clock at doe camel stadium but it will be be interesting to see what other storylines come out of it but those will be some of the big ones Uh, we talked basketball extensively in the first segment and i want to jump to baseball here but uh, any thoughts you have a good feel for tonight are you concerned about tonight what what do you got for south bend i think historically you know force day has not won at notre dame it's been a very small sample size Florida State's done really well against the Irish in the NCAA tournament, some of those neutral sites through the years. This game comes down to can you keep John Mooney from being a double-double machine that he typically is? Game here at the Tucker Center, what, a month and a half, two months ago, they limited his rebounds pretty well. Notre Dame's going to shoot the three. You've got to defend that three extremely well. And Florida State has done that very consistently throughout the year. I feel good about this one. I feel great about Boston College on Saturday on senior day. But, yeah, I think Florida State needs these two and, and have a chance to uh, to raise a banner. Well, it would be tremendous if they could. I hate the thought, though, that if they don't get it done tonight and then you beat Boston College, that you, you go into the postseason and the feeling is, you know, you didn't achieve when if you ask that question at the beginning of October and you look at what this team's done, that shouldn't be the fan. I'm saying that's the fan perspective. I, I mean, the team would have to feel like I think they let one slip away because really – they had a chance Saturday. I mean, had they won that game against Clemson, they'd have room for error tonight, but it didn't go that way. They had to make free throws at Clemson, and they yeah. didn't. And we can talk about the officiating and the charges and all those, but you make your free throws and that game's over. 
Look, again, it's worth reminding this Florida State team was number five in the preseason media poll in the ACC, unranked in the AP and the coaches poll. And now it's a top 10 team, and we're, we're criticizing in a good way a top 10 team. And I think that's a good thing. We want to be able to criticize a top 10 basketball team. The reality is that chances like this don't come along. I mean, Florida State's been in the ACC since 1991-92. How many times have they been two games to go in the regular season where they control their own destiny to win an ACC title? And the answer is none, right? So get it done tonight, get it done Saturday, and, and, and hang a banner no matter what the league says. You know, put up whatever you want to celebrate it and then do well in the tournament. All right, let's talk about baseball. Now, I, you know, I've, I've seen about one game a weekend is what I've seen. And uh, this story... This is a story that, frankly, could have been highly criticized and still could be, but has gone exactly the opposite way. And I'm talking about Tyler Martin. So Mike Martin, uh, Jr. meet, and he had indicated in the fall that uh, he knew what he had. And he said, yeah, you know, I I remember him saying something to the effect of we might have to get Tyler in here because we need more bodies. We need something else. So Tyler graduates early. He's supposed to be a senior right now playing his last year of high school baseball. And we're 12 games in, and he's hitting 385, which leads the team. He hasn't made an error. Now, granted, limited chances there. But his, his on-base percentage is 545, which leads the team. He hit the walk-off base hit last night. Uh, and the reason I say it could have gone the other way is because if Tyler's playing and he's hitting a buck 92, then there's going to be a lot of criticism about nepotism and all that. But even separate the father-son aspect, who could have seen a guy that you didn't know was going to be on the roster in fall coming in and 12 games in doing this? Nobody. I, I think it raised eyebrows immediately because we asked Meet before the season, who's going to be your leadoff guy? We thought it might be Reese Albert, somebody more of a veteran presence who wasn't a true leadoff, but just give you that spark at the top of the lineup. And he says Tyler Martin, and my eyebrow kind of raises, oh, this is going to be interesting, however it plays out. So he, he's kind of an interesting guy from a fielding standpoint. He can play second or third. I'm not sure if he's a shortstop or not, but regardless, there's a spot for him in the infield. He had a little bit of arm issues in that he was throwing the ball a lot in practice and they had to DH him at points. But he's a guy who can play in the field. That makes Robbie Martin your DH. He's not the best outfielder. So I think that solves a little bit of fielding issues. Where would this team be without Tyler Martin is a really good question. He has been, I think, the guy who battles through every at-bat. I don't want to call him a professional at-bat type of guy yet. I mean, it feels too early to say that. But that at-bat in the 11th, Tuesday night he battled I mean he fouled off I don't know how many pitches and they just waited for that one that he could get some good contact mm-hmm. on and and get it up the middle against a drawn in infield and I think the team sees what they have in him too he may not be a leader he may not be that guy but I think they see a guy who's just busting his butt every day and trying to help them and become part of the team it's been a remarkable story 12 games in so when you look at the stat sheet and I have it in front of me some of the numbers are, are really good for example, opponents are batting 194 against this pitching staff, which has an ERA of 265. I mean, we knew this team could pitch. Uh, you know, CJ hasn't even found his form yet, and his ERA is a buck 23 with just one win. And then you have the defense, and 941, Florida State historically has not been a great defensive team. I mean, they're fielded in the 965 range maybe 970 in a really good year and you see a lot of opponents like florida and virginia that are 978 982 but 941 is just it's just not sustainable i mean it it it, uh it leads to it leads to losses and there's unearned runs i mean they had them last night but overcame them so do you think 
ultimately are they are they going to leave Nander at short? Does he go to second? Uh, Tyler getting in the infield does this solve some of this? How, really, what I'm asking is from 941, what's a realistic place this team can go? There's nowhere to go but up. There's no, there's nowhere to go but up. <laughs> I think Tyler does solidify third base because that was a huge concern of Meats going into the season. Is I'm not really sure I with confidence who can field well at third. I think they're still feeling out the middle infield. Is it is it Nander at short or second? Is it Jackson Green at short or second? I'm not sure there's going to be a very good answer for a while. I think we have to get 20, 25 games in just to see how this plays out. I think it's worth saying the the routine plays are not being made. Some of the more flash-the-glove plays were made last night. I think Nander went up in the rain to snare one at short, and Jackson went to the hole and and threw a guy out at first. So there are some special plays being made, but yes, overall, 941 or, or whatever it is, yeah, it's it's ugly. I and mean, it's got to get better, and it does neutralize the pitching because those aren't in runs. It's four outs. It's just hurting you as you get into the conference slate. And I know they will get better and fix some of this, but the 941 doesn't even reflect things like missing cutoff guys or drop pop-ups in foul territory or blowing a run down the other night. I was at the end of the Saturday night game. All that said, that, that Saturday night loss to, to Texas Tech, um, Texas Tech's a really good team. I mean, everybody's throwing 95 or north. But Florida State was a foot or two away from a walk-off double from, I think it was Jackson Green in the bottom one. I mean, he just missed what was going to be a two-run double to win that, and then you split that series. So a lot of baseball left. Conference play starts this weekend. All right, we're going to bounce back to basketball. Do you want to hang out for this interview, Bob, and we'll continue, or you want to be on your way? It's an Osceola insider choice. I'll, I'll put the pressure on you. I'm going to let you and Jordan go one-on-one, I think. There you go. Bob is our Aussie. What Bob is really saying is if you want more of his intellect and content, you need to subscribe to the Osceola online at theosceola.com. Appreciate it, sir. Take care. All right. He is Bob Ferrante. We'll come back, fire up the uh, Earl Bacon HC hotline once again right after this. Stay with us on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom Block with you. Keith Jones will rejoin us next segment. He is uh, in South Bend for the call with Gene Deckerhoff of tonight's basketball game. Also in South Bend, Jordan Cornett from the ACC Network. You see him on All ACC. You'll uh, see and hear him tonight. He's got the TV call of tonight's Notre Dame uh, FSU game. Jordan, thanks uh, for a few minutes of your time. How are you doing? Doing well, Tom. Good to be on with you, man. The most having quite the season. And still a lot to play for. Yeah, so I want to talk both big picture and micro related to tonight. But first of all, as a starting point, I mean, you're a former basketball player. The calendar now reads March. So I'm thinking for you, this is this is the best four-week stretch on the sports calendar. I mean, is that the way you're wired? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we start in November and everything surrounds March. So it's the slow buildup to what to me might be the most fascinating and most unpredictable March Madness that we've ever seen. And I know you hear that a lot, Tom, but with the parity, with so proven dominant team, with so many upsets, even as of late as we creep into March, there's no reason to believe that hyperbole plays here. 
No, it's, I mean, uh, been well chronicled throughout the course of the year how often top five teams were, were getting knocked off, and uh, it has been unpredictable. So l- l- let's focus on the macro or specific to Florida State. And, and you know, in the ACC, you've got a lot of storylines from the resurgence of Virginia right now uh, and North Carolina, but really the bigger story has been North Carolina struggles this year. But from a Florida State perspective, they were picked fifth in the league this year. They lost six guys from a year ago. I, I mean, nobody had them two games away, you know, controlling their own destiny from potentially winning the ACC regular season. So when you watch FSU, and I know you've talked with Coach Ham, you've been there shoot around and all that, what is it that impresses you the most about this Florida State team? This selflessness, Tom, is, is absolutely what sticks out to me in an era where so many talented high school players and talented college players uh, find themselves at a program, and if they're not the, the focal point, if they're not the featured spotlighted guy, or if they're not getting their 30 minutes a game, the guys are looking to transfer. Coach is an idiot. He doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, I should be the guy. I'm going to go someplace else where I can shine. Rarely do you see a buy-in. So many talented guys that play 10, 11 people that are okay with a different guy's number being called at crunch time, a different guy getting those minutes that you typically get. 15 minutes a game for a guy who can go play 35 somewhere else. It's a buy-in to what Coach Hamilton does because these guys adore their coach, they respect their coach, and they trust their coach. you got to have a special group of guys that possess that kind of talent that say, hey, we're in this for the greater good because we've seen the guys that play 20 minutes a game here can still go on and be great pros. So it's a belief in what Coach Hamilton has has brought to the table, and that buy-in sticks out to me most. Digging deeper on that, do you think the secret sauce is – comes on the front end when they when they meet and they recruit guys out of high school and they can kind of see well this guy might be somebody who needs to get his 35 minutes so he's maybe not a great fit here or is it more of a testimony to to once the guys are here they just truly grow and love ham and the family environment so much that they become accepting of of you know being a less minutes guy and it doesn't matter if i score 20 or i score six well it's a it's an understanding that once once you get there and you show uh, and you see how the style of play uh, only allows you to really play in segments because of how hard they play. And then it's an understanding with these guys that in those segments, it's plenty to showcase the type of player you are. Coach Hamilton said something really interesting to me most recently about his team. He's like, I got guys who are looking at me saying, Coach, please pull me out of the game. I'm playing so hard. I need a sub. And that's how they approach the game is guys, it's not sustainable to play 35 minutes a game for Coach Hamilton because of the style. Guys, though, you go out there, you go hard, you'll get a guy to sub in for you, and you'll come back in and make plays. And, and in a way, it's almost the best way to showcase a guy to the next level because you get to play in spurts, show what you do, get rested, go back out there and do it again. And those wholesale changes allow them to win at a high clip, give them the platform to continue to shine. If you ask Coach now, he doesn't want to be playing Trent Forrest as long as he has. It's just he needs that stability out there. But it's unusual how much he's had to play guys like Devin Vassell and Trent Forrest. It's something he doesn't prefer. So flipping the script a little bit the other way, and and not just specific to tonight's game, but you know Florida State, for as good as they've been this year, every team has some deficiencies. So where do you see, and, and maybe Clemson exploited it in terms of uh, getting to the basket so frequently on some blow-bys the other day, but but where do you, what do you see as, as Florida State's weakness? Uh, perimeter defense. They got to be better keeping guys in front. 
Uh, I think they have mental lapses where, despite how great they are at turning you over and aggressive as the defense is, sometimes <clears throat> there's <clears throat> excuse me. Sometimes Tom, there's teams that that are getting to the rim with more success than they should have. Uh, on top of that, it's not the best rebounding team. Uh, so if they run into a team that is really a bully on the backboard, despite the size, it should be a better rebounding team. Uh, but the thing that sticks out to me most is they, with the length and athleticism and interchangeable pieces, they don't present a lot of open gaps, but sometimes guys get in isolation in the opposition and have found success getting to the rim, much like Clemson. Talking with Jordan Cornette from uh, the ACC Network. He'll be uh, calling the basketball action tonight in South Bend. So how do you see this one tonight? Give us a couple of keys, and, and, and who do you think comes out on top? Well, you know, Patrick Williams didn't play in the last contest, and it was almost, you know, a, a blessing in disguise because of the whole idea of next man up. Why will uh, the reserve that was seldomly used up until that point, but Coach Hamilton has made the, the proclamation that he could become one of the best shooters Florida State history, well, he jumped in 19 points and replaced Patrick Williams beautifully in that one. Uh, Florida State shot the three ball very well. I think they had 14 threes in that first matchup. 12 or 14, the number is uh, is one of those two. Either way, he shot it really good for three. And that propelled them in that game, but they had some mental lapses defensively that A, allowed Notre Dame to jump out early, but also Notre Dame to creep back into it late. Notre Dame knocked out 10 threes in that game. Notre Dame got good performances from their perimeter, most notably Prentice Hub. Uh, Florida State was able to keep John Mooney off the backboard, but John Mooney was perfectly productive. This one is going to come down to the three-point line. The ability for Notre Dame to defend the three-point line, make Florida State drivers and do a better job of protecting the rim, Florida State's obviously very capable of driving it. Notre Dame needs a good performance from their perimeter. When T.J. Gibbs and Prentice Hub don't show up, Notre Dame is the most beatable team in the country. When those two guys are playing at a high level, Notre Dame can compete with anybody in the conference. Save the Duke loss, they've been competitive in every conference game this season. Ball just hasn't bounced their way. That's why they're on the outside looking in. For Florida State, I would want to play bully ball. I would want to get up in these guys, really guard them, control the pace of this game, and make it a man's game. When Florida State makes it that type of game, nobody can beat Florida State. It's a big one tonight for Florida State. Obviously, if they win and they hold serve at home against Boston College on Saturday, they'll win the ACC regular season title. Of course, the other scenario is we could have a four-way tie. Uh, as you look at the ACC tournament, and there's still a couple games left here, I, I saw you tweeted, you know, North Carolina is the strongest 14 seed in the history of the ACC tournament, which is absolutely true, I would think, given that they're finding themselves a little bit. But then you have Virginia, who was written off as dead uh, or, or all but dead early on, and here they are back. You've got Louisville, which even though Florida State's beaten them twice, you know, I don't know that FSU wants to see them a third time this year. Then you've got Florida State with all its bodies. So how do you see things shaking out when we get to the tournament in a week or two? As unpredictable as the, the big dance is going to be, I mean, I don't think there's anybody who can confidently say of those. Now it was tough three teams in the ACC has now become top four because of the emergence of Virginia. I don't think anybody can confidently say one team is better than the other. With Virginia, them coming to form here and the defense carrying the day for them, Kihei Clark starting to figure it out a little bit more confidently as a point guard uh, and Tony Bennett's system just working. Uh, that is interesting. With Duke, the, the freshman lapses from these guys and sometimes uh, not sometimes, but five times this year, some head-scratching losses, but yet still one of the better teams in the country. I lead with Florida State. I'm just a really big believer in they've got a good balance of youth 
and they've got experience, and they've got the depth. Uh, but they're the toughest of the three, both mentally and physically. Duke has got Trey Jones. Duke has Vernon Curry. I'm going to believe in that team. Louisville has been Jekyll and Hyde. Are they going to come out and play with an edge? Are they going to play on their heels and be a finesse team that relies on the three-point shot? Uh, so there's questions with the three teams there, uh, four teams, excuse me. But North Carolina, as a, as a bottom seed coming into this thing, nobody wants to play them in the second game if they're able to win their first. But again, it goes back to will Carolina even win their first game? They've been so hard to figure out because of the pieces being rigid at times, obviously tons of uh, injury. But I think you're going to get a laser-focused team, and if Baycott comes back, uh, it's going to be fascinating to see what this team does. A couple more questions, and we'll finish up. We're chatting with uh, Jordan Cornett, who will call tonight's game. When you look at Florida State, I mean, Devin Vassell and Patrick Williams are NBA guys. I think they're projected in the, the second half of the first round at this point. Is there any chance FSU gets those guys back, or if you're in their shoes, you just got to go and get a guaranteed contract? Or do you come back and say, maybe I can move up to the lottery? Yeah, do you have any feel on that? Because that's going to be the next question here as we get deeper into March. Yeah, and you know, I, I've got a pretty good relationship with Coach Hayden, and, and uh, he was pretty stern in, in just saying, you know, these guys are locked in on what they're doing right now. They love this experience, and, and it's much like um, when people wanted to find out why Devonstone didn't play in that game a few years back. And coach said, when you spank your child, you can tell the neighbor about it. And it was kind of a funny line, uh, but it's been the approach with his program. He protects his kids. And he doesn't want media asking about anything else um, that could be you know, a, a diversion for them or, or getting inside their heads, creating a, a conflict a, a potentially. So coach has always been flat about it, like, hey, these guys are here to play for me right now. We'll figure out what's best for them. If it's best for them to come back, and they'll do that. If it's best for them to go, they'll do that. But it won't be self-serving for Coach Hamilton and the program. He wants what's best for these guys. They truly are like sons to him. And he truly is a father figure uh, to these guys. And it's not to say their fathers aren't present. He's just an extension of a family member to them. So you're, it mums the word with Coach. He's not going to give you much. And then finally, and I, let me set this up, first of all, and, to, and Coach Ham. Uh, was very diplomatic and did not point to these calls in the Clemson game at all. You know, the the reason Florida State lost to Clemson was uh, they missed free throws. They didn't get enough stops. Um, and I'm not even talking about the inadvertent whistle at the end. But the, the block charge thing, and I see you see all the games. I mean, this is what you do. Uh, I'm focused more on Florida State. And it, and it feels like the block charge call is, uh, you know, we're rewarding defenders for sliding in a little bit late, and it's it's getting beyond really what the intent was there. But that maybe that's me. So I'll ask you, does that need to be fine-tuned a little bit, or am I just looking at it with garnet and gold glasses? Uh, maybe a little bit of, of a G&G there, Tom. But, look, at the end of the day, there's no exact science to it. I think the more we, with the technology we have, the ability to replay, a lot of this stuff is more spotlighted than it's ever been due to the ability for the fans to get a, a finer sense of it. That being said, uh, I, I think the more you tinker with it, the more you leave open another potential issue. I mean, look at the NFL, what they've tried to do with pass interference. Uh, look at baseball, what they've tried to do with instant replay, and, and how cheating's now coming to the, 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 to the foreplay there, uh, to the front, to the front, uh, forefront there. Uh, I, and what I mean is that when you try to make changes to perfect stuff, you still, it's still imperfect. And I think at the end of the day, no matter how much we want to fix calls and make stuff right and maybe change the literature, how we understand it to be, there's still going to be room for error because humans 
error. And I think the idea that officiating is worse off now than it's ever been isn't true. It's, at the end of the day, as a former player, when it comes down to a bang-bang call, I always say, do enough ahead of time to not put yourself in that position. And that's what Coach Hamilton said. I think the block charge is always going to be a gray area thing. I really don't think that there's much you can do to change it. Because even if you do, there's still going to be a loophole where people take issue with it. And I just think you, you just got to continue with the game. It ain't broke. Don't fix it. Have you like final question? Have you liked uh, the three point line change and 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 what have you seen in terms of its impact? Well, well, for me, I, I always see I've always had issue with the NBA line being so much further back than the college. You're trying to to, to analyze these college guys and, and scout them and see how they're going to translate to the next level. Well, the difference in the three point line is huge because guys could be a great three point shooter in college, struggle immensely from that three point line. I'd want the games to mirror each other as much as possible. That being said, the three-point line has, without question, hurt offenses this year. The percentage is a small one, but it's covering a vast amount of shooters, which means a lot of shooters are shooting more poorly for it to dip even that one percentage. What you've seen is good shooters have the or, or average shooters from three have become exposed with the extended three-point line. Great shooters haven't been impacted because those great shooters can shoot from anywhere on the floor doesn't change that. It's exposed the average shooter who still takes those same volume of shots, but their percentage has decreased immensely. I would have liked to see the spacing that the three-point line allows to have offense be more free-flowing, but I just think with so much turnover in college basketball, we've seen a struggle in offense. So I don't put it all on a three-point line, but it's definitely been a part of it. That being said, I'd still love to see it there and extend even more because I'd like to see a match what the NBA game has. Makes sense. Great insight and perspective. Uh, thanks so much for spending a few minutes with us, and uh, enjoy the uh, the atmosphere in the game tonight. Have a good call. Tom, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Enjoy the game tonight. All right. That is Jordan Cornett from uh, the ACC Network. Again, he's uh, calling tonight's TV broadcast. He's uh, You see him on all ACC and, uh, and other places as well. We'll take a break. Come back. Uh, Keith and I will react to that just a little bit. Uh, big night for Florida State. Knowles trying to stay in the driver's seat to win an ACC regular season crown if they can uh, – be on the right end of the scoreboard after 40 minutes in South Bend tonight. More Front Row Knowles after this. I was flying Yeah, running down a dream That never would come to me Working on a mystery Going wherever it leads Running down a dream Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ with you. Keith rejoins us from South Bend via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency ensuring your future together. Keith uh, had a good conversation with Jordan Cornett. For our listeners' sake, I'll point this out now, but I didn't want to poison the well at the start of the interview. Uh, he's with all. He's, he's with the ACC Network. Uh, you see him on all ACC. He's calling tonight's game. He also played basketball at Notre Dame from 01 to 05 and was a, a two-time captain for Notre Dame and, and for Coach Mike Bray. So, that said, now that I've let that cat out of the bag, that may impact the way people, if they're watching on TV, uh, listen to tonight's game. But anyway, well, I he's, the, got, he's got a little insight. We'll just call it that. He's definitely got insight. He, he had really good perspective there. He, he told me, by the way, since you weren't listening in, that uh, it was garnet and gold-colored glasses. I did offer that caveat in, in relation to all the uh, block charges calls the other day. 
So we ended, uh, we ended the interview and we went back to you. So that's where we are now. There you go. Um, you want to talk some a little bit of football here? Spring practice starts on Saturday. Uh, we discussed this with Bob. What what's uh, top of your list of what you want to see out of out of spring practice? With the caveat that everybody gets excited about spring practice, and then uh, you know, unless you really enjoy how sausage is made, it's a little like watching paint dry, and you don't get you don't get quite the big news that you're hoping to get. Well, and, and this spring will be just like two springs ago uh, from the standpoint that you're installing a new offense, <laughs> pardon me, and a new defense. So there will be a lot more teaching going on than, uh, you know, working on things. And as a result, you know, it, it'll be worse than paint drying. It'll be the primer. The primer <laughs> will be drying. Uh, but it's a necessary part of the process. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to see you know, what the practices look like to the degree we get to see them. And then, uh, you know, just seeing the kids perform. So it's a good time. We've been without football for a while at the collegiate level. I still am having a trouble getting used to the uh, earliness of this. Uh, it just doesn't seem right when you're, you know, doing spring football in March. You know, I'm, I'm ready for April or May, but, you know, that's the way the calendar works these days. Well, to be fair, the spring game is actually later than it normally is on April 19th, but that's because, and this goes back to the Bowden days, spring break is built into spring practice. You know, back when Bobby was coached, that used to be the case too, and all the coaches and boosters would go on a cruise during spring break week. Right, so, so it right. is a little interesting. You'll have a you'll have a week of spring break, I mean a week of practice, and then the players get a break, and then they come back. But it certainly would not behoove you as a player to uh, fall out of shape in those seven or eight days with three more weeks of spring practice or a month on the back end. Not at all. Not at all. You you uh, had best be watching your piece of views, no question. What do you think we're going to see on the quarterback side? I mean, we're not ultimately going to get a quarterback answer until we go through fall and all the quarterbacks are here, meaning Chubba comes in because he's not here right now. But what do you expect to see among Blackman and, and Travis and, and Rodemaker? I, I don't know that you'll see much. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe one of them will distance themselves from the other two, but um, I, I don't have a great expectation that we'll see a lot from the quarterback position for the reasons you pointed out. I think that will be a an August thing as opposed to a spring thing. Uh, could be wrong, could be wrong. Uh, and, of course, I think there's a, a whole bunch of Florida State fans that are interested in seeing how Blackman uh, progresses, if you will, uh, because I think many of us look at last year's performance and right, wrong, or indifferent say that, you know, he didn't get much better and, in fact, maybe regressed in a couple of areas. So so maybe there's a, a, a spotlight on him from that standpoint, but I'm not sure we should expect much out of the quarterback position, as you mentioned, until August. Blackman and how this unfolds is going to be – it's going to be very interesting because – Part of me wants to say, is there any way that you could end up in Atlanta playing West Virginia with him as your starting quarterback, given what the last game looked like and how his career has unfolded? But the other part of me, and you know, a lot of people like Kendall Bryles, not everybody was all in on it, but you and I talked about this. Everything was so vertical in that system when with no offensive line, there there really weren't check downs or, I mean, there wasn't a lot of easy throws for a quarterback to make when you're waiting for a guy to get open 30 yards downfield. So part of me feels like, you know, if you reset things and you play more to what your strengths are and you have that available in your offense, that, that Blackman could be okay. 
Well, two things. Number one, we all constantly were amazed at how slender he was. And supposedly he's put on 10 or 15 pounds, so there'll be more of him to look at. But but I agree with you. And and I think, you know, the, the I, I use the term redemption. That's probably too strong a term. But, you know, maybe he just wasn't suited for that offense and will be much better suited for what's going to be installed during the spring. You know, we'll just have to wait and see. The thing that is so frustrating with, with Blackman is that we all love him because he's such a great kid. And, and his teammates respect him. He's a leader. We want him to do well. And it's just doubly disappointing that, that he doesn't. And so, therefore, you know, maybe he gets another opportunity. We'll have to wait and see. Can I interject real quick one more thing about Blackman, Keith? Sure. His weight is the most talked about, least important thing that we've discussed for the last three years. And it becomes, it's a storyline right now. I don't care if he gained 30 pounds or 20 pounds or lost five. He's tall and he's slender and it has not affected the product on the field. Those are other things we're trying to fix. Yet we get fixated on his weight. We do. Uh, And I'll I'll, I'll admit that I was the first to bring it up. But uh, by the same token, I just don't want the kid to get hurt. I'm afraid he's going to get broken too. That's where I go back more to, well, you have to have some shorter routes. You have to do some things. You have to move the pocket, whatever it is. Uh, maybe it's not play Blackman. Maybe it's play Travis or somebody who can, uh, you know, can, can move the football on the, with his feet. But there's, there's other factors in play there besides, uh, I mean, you could have a 400-pound quarterback, and, and the, what they've been doing the last couple of years, he's still going to get drilled. No question. No question. Anything else? So beyond the quarterbacks, what else do you want to see out of spring? Well, I, I think – all of us are looking for, uh, on the defensive side of the ball, a more, uh, are they going to be a, an attacking defense? Or are they going to be a sit back and read defense? Are we going to be zone? Are we going to be man to man? You know, I think many people agree that the, the defensive secondary uh, obviously had to make some improvements. Are we, are we going to see that? Uh, linebacker play, uh, you know, needs to be elevated. Um, so I think just the, the, the visual and the look uh, on the defensive side is something that uh, all of us are going to be interested in watching uh, as things un- uh, unfold. We're, we're, again, we'll just have to wait and see. Keith is joining us from South Bend. Uh, we'll finish up with some basketball talk, but I'll remind you, if you have a do-it-yourself project that needs to be finished, go say hello to Ron and his great staff at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. They will uh, take care of all your power tool needs. Two locations in town, 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. You can reach him uh, on the horn at 580-1200 or visit him online at ctf.nu. That is Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Keith, two minutes to go. We started the show by talking hoops. I really want to go to the Tucker Center on Saturday knowing that Florida State, if it defends its home court, is ACC regular season champs. So bring us home tonight, will you? Let's let's get a solid 40 minutes here and make sure we're on the right side, the uh, the top of the scoreboard when all's finished. Well, three things have to happen. Number one, Florida State cannot afford to get off to a, a slow start. Uh, they can't get behind early. Number two, they've got to hit free throws. Uh, they lead the ACC in free throw percentage, but the last couple three ball games, you know, they've not performed well from 15 feet away. And thirdly, let's protect the basketball. Golly, you know, turnovers. Clemson had like 23 or 24 points off of turnovers. If you just cut down on the stakes with the basketball, you win some ball games. So let's look for those three things. I'm confident that Florida State will perform well. 
and I'll do my best to bring back a victory. If we get a better whistle on the block charge calls, that would have uh, cut down on the turnovers there. But also, also to, to be fair, Raquan Gray can't pass the ball to the ref. I mean, we can't have that going on because that did happen the other day. Uh, <laughs> I, I, By the way, he passed it to Mike Eads. He's the one that had the inadvertent whistle. Oh, was it? Yeah. You had to go back there. You know, I got that out of my system in the first segment. Now you're going to end the show on the inadvertent whistle. Just reliving the past, my friend. Reliving the past. I, um, you know, the one thing related to whistles, Keith, and we've Leonard will do this in the NCAA tournament. If you're in a situation and and somebody key gets two fouls tonight and it's the first half, I, you know, I might say ride with them there. I mean, we got a lot at stake here. I know that's not his principle, but I, I might not, you know, if, if you're, if a game, certainly if the game is starting to slip or Notre Dame's building the lead and Forrest has two fouls, you got to, you got to keep them in there at the end of the first half. Uh, good luck with that. I don't see that happening. But I hear you. He does it. He'll do it in the NCAA postseason, though. He will. Well, hopefully it doesn't come down to that. Hopefully uh, we make some free throws. Um, don't go near Malik. He's really the one who it's in his head right now when he goes to the stripe. Everybody else I feel like is all right, but you can see Malik is overthinking it. Yep. Um, so uh, so I don't know if I want you to give him advice or stay away, but uh, that that's where the issues are right now. Keith, have a good call tonight with Gino. Will do. Keith Jones uh, from the luxurious penthouse suite. Uh, actually, not at the Ritz. He said it was the Embassy Suite somewhere in South Bend. But uh, he'll be back. Uh, well, no, he won't. He'll be at the ACC tournament next week. So I'll be man in the studio on my own here for uh, really. This is how the month of March goes, and I hope it goes the whole month of March into April that Keith's on the road with basketball because that mean will mean good things are happening. Thanks to uh, Jordan uh, Cornette for joining us, Bob Ferrante, KJ as well. Thanks for tuning in. We'll do this again next week right here on Front Row Knowles. Oh, yeah.